You know how we talk about time? In financial language, right? Spending time, wasting time, having enough time, affording time. And so is it that we are time stingy when it comes to loving our neighbor? Sure, we, we won't blink about, you know, putting $20 to that charity, a $20 bill, no problem. But what about 20 minutes? Just 20 minutes. Now, what if it's just 20 minutes that you're calling the parents to see how they're doing, checking in on them, seeing if they need anything? Or is it that we see our to-do lists, our errands, our priorities as more important than other people? You know, when, when, when our schedule is interrupted and there's some sort of detour, do we see that as some great injustice that people are actually robbing our time? But then there's the Samaritan. He had places to go, he had, he had people to see, and yet he stopped. The following is a sermon from Peace Lutheran, a church located in downtown Aiken, South Carolina. For more information and for more content, go to peaceinaiken.com. He tells a story about what it means to love your neighbor. Please stand for the gospel. The gospel according to Luke chapter 10. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Maybe for some of you out there, this story is new, but I would guess 
that for many of you, this is a familiar story. Maybe, maybe we've even heard the, the story of the Good Samaritan a dozen times. You know how it goes. You know exactly what happens. But this morning, I want to go at it in just a little bit different way. So you see, a part of my life right now, as a dad, means reading children's books. So every night we read from a children's Bible. And just a couple weeks ago, we came across this story. The story of the Good Samaritan. Familiar story. But in a book with only five other Bible stories, I was a little surprised to find it in there. I'll be honest, I'm not so sure it would have made my top six Bible stories. And actually, I'm not so sure I would want any child to hear the last words of the story and then go to sleep at night. Let me explain. So right off the bat, I'm going to try not to be too hard on this children's book, but right off the bat, I was bummed to see in this children's Bible that they totally get rid of this conversation with Jesus and the expert in the Old Testament law. Right away, they just start, one day there was a man traveling. But they totally get rid of this man and and his questions for Jesus. And if we're really going to get something out of this story within the story, then I think we should consider those two questions. So this expert of Old Testament law, the first question he has for Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now, for those of you who love the gospel, you already know that's the wrong question to ask, right? But this guy who who loves the law, expert in the Old Testament law, Jesus says, well, what does the law say? And without even blinking, this guy says, well, Deuteronomy 6.5, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. And then he even adds, and with all your mind. You know, maybe he's thinking he's going to get extra credit and show his, his memory skills and then he says, well, well uh, Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus' response is, is short and simple. You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But this expert in the law isn't quite done with Jesus. He has a second question for Jesus. He, he says, and who is my neighbor? You know, he just quoted Leviticus 19.18, love your neighbor as yourself. But who exactly is this neighbor? Who does this neighbor constitute? Well, if we, were to, if we were to flip back right now to Leviticus 19 and take a look at the verses that he's quoting from, we can get already a pretty good idea of what this man was thinking his neighbor was. Because the verses that he's quoting from talk about how to treat fellow Israelites. How an Israelite is, how to, is to treat an Israelite. How to treat people who are like you. So Jesus, knowing this man's heart, proceeds to tell the story. And then this is where the children's Bible picks up the story. I didn't bring the the children's Bible with me, but I want to bring you into it a little bit. So on on that first page of the story, You see an innocent-looking traveler. He's walking on a path, and he's got a a brown canvas bag slung around his shoulder. It's probably got clothes, maybe some food, maybe his money in there. And then behind him on the path, you see these two guys peeking out behind a tree with a menacing look on their faces. 
And you know what happens next. They beat the man, take his stuff, and leave him. And then what follows in the children's Bible are these three episodes, each complete with their own pictures. So three episodes. The first episode, you see that path, and you see the injured man, and you see a priest walking right past. Now you can tell right away that this is a children's book because the injured man... He, he looks more like he's, he's slipped and fallen off his skateboard than he was actually like beaten half to death. But I, I do like, I do appreciate how they portray the priest walking past. The priest has got this scroll that's unrolled. He's holding it in his right hand, but he's not really reading it. His eyes are, are sort of closed. His, his eyebrows are raised. His, his chin is, is lifted up a little bit. His lips are curled if, if you were to see him, you would know it's not a look of disgust, but it's entirely a look of disinterest. This priest is in no hurry. He's just strutting right along. You know, he, he did his, his priestly duties at the temple, and now he's, now he's headed home. And I, I almost wonder what's going through his head. You know, like, well, probably serves that guy right. Probably didn't take the right precautions, and well, he's probably not a very holy guy if, if this happened to him. So that's episode number one. Episode number two is very similar. Same path, same injured man, but this time it's a Levite. And the, the illustrators of this children's Bible did something totally different with the Levite. His, his gait is very wide. His arms are swinging. You can tell he's, he's in a big hurry. And his eyes aren't closed, but they're, they're looking back at the injured man. He, he sees this man in need of help, but something's preventing him from stopping and doing something about it. You know, as, as a Levite, he was an assistant in the temple. So was it that, that his, his temple list of errands was really long that day, and he just couldn't spare the time to, to stop this man and get everything he had to do, had to do done on that list? That's episode Number two. And then episode number three is where we see the Samaritan. The Samaritan is, is dressed in completely different clothes than the other men. His, his hair and his skin are just a little bit darker. And he stops and he's, he's kneeling beside the injured man. No, no words are said. They're just looking at each other. Both hands are reaching out. One for help and the other to help this man. And they're just looking at each other, sort of frozen in that moment, no words. And then this third episode gets actually a second picture. And the second picture looks like this. There's the, the, the innkeeper is on the right. The Samaritan is in the middle. And the injured man is on the left. And in the Samaritan's hand is this big bag of money that he's handing to the innkeeper. And in his other hand, he's, he's guiding the donkey along with the injured passenger. And that's how the story ends, right there in that picture. With the words on top, that's what it means to be a good neighbor. That's the moral of the story. That's what it means to be a good neighbor, be like the Samaritan. It, it perfectly answers that man's question, well, who is my neighbor? Because your, your neighbor is not just someone like you. It's not just an Israelite helping an Israelite. But Jesus brings a Samaritan in the story. 
And, and Jews and Samaritans did not get along. They were not like each other, and they hated each other. And we could say even more about who a neighbor is. It's not just people that aren't like you, but it's people that you see who need your help. People that, you, you know, you're walking and you see they are in need of your help. And so you can see how that, is, that actually is different than just loving everyone. You know, being, being a good neighbor is not the exact same as just loving everyone. Loving everyone is good and all, it's, it's great, but being a good neighbor means actually doing something. You know, running into an individual, a real person with a real problem, and taking action. It means looking at them and not just walking past, but it means looking at them and loving them. That's what it means to be a good neighbor. So the question this morning is, well, how have we done? Maybe, maybe it is someone on the streets. You know, that always, that always sort of tugs at the conscience. What do you do? I think we've often gotten away from, from handing out money, handing out cash, which I, I understand. I, I get why people maybe don't do that. But, but are we just always assuming, well, there's not a chance that they would actually use that money and, and spend it on something good, you know, get a good, healthy meal? Do we just make that assumption? But whether, whether, or, not we, whether or not we give money to that person in need is the only other option, do you think, to, to pull out your phone in your right hand, pretend like you've got something really important that you're looking at that screen and just sort of walk right past you know, the, the, same, the, same, the same posture as the priest, his chin is raised. Maybe thinking, well, that's not my responsibility. That, that person probably had a job, they probably had a family, but they probably just messed it all up. And so I, I, I shouldn't really have to look out for them. What does that say about us? Well, let, me, let me throw another example at you. Imagine that you're traveling on the highway. And, and you see the lanes, you're, you're about to enter a construction zone, the, the lanes are merging. And, you know, there's always that person who, instead of merging early, thinks they can just keep driving and then cut in and sneak in last minute. Don't you just love those people? But in that moment, what do you do? You look over, you see their lane is, is narrowing, the cones are right there, they're, they're looking at you, their eye, your eyes are meeting with them. But do you let them in? Let me, let me provide a couple more details to this hypothetical story. What if you can see the bumper sticker that's on the back of their car? What if it's one of those Christian fish symbols? Oh, by all means, come on in, you know, flash the lights, our people, let them in. What if it's not, what if it's not that fish, though? What if instead it's a donkey? Or an elephant, does that, does that make a difference if you see that bumper sticker? Or what if instead of a USC sticker, you see a UGA one? Does that, does that determine whether you let this person in? I see a couple of people nodding their heads. <laughs> Not the point of the story. I know this is, is maybe a silly example, but I think you know the point that I'm driving at. You know, what if, what if that bumper sticker, what if it's, what if it's a rainbow flag? What if it's a Confederate flag? Does that make a difference? Does, does a little bumper sticker, a magnetic bumper sticker on the back of someone's car, could that pay, be the difference as to whether you pay someone just a small courtesy on the road? What does that really say about us? 
Maybe we're like the priests sometimes. Maybe we think it's not my responsibility. Maybe, maybe we think, well, those people, they're beneath me. They're not like me. So maybe we're like the priest, but maybe we're more so like that hypothetical Levite in the story. You know, the, the children's Bible portrays him as, as, as being busy. He's, he's in a hurry. He can't stop. So is it, is it, then, is it then, you know, a time constraint for us? You notice when, when we talk about time, I think this is interesting. You know how we talk about time? In financial language, right? Spending time, wasting time, having enough time, affording time. And so is it that we are time stingy when it comes to loving our neighbor? Sure, we, we won't blink about, you know, putting $20 to that charity, a $20 bill, no problem. But what about 20 minutes? Just 20 minutes. Now, what if it's just 20 minutes that you're calling the parents to see how they're doing, checking in on them, seeing if they need anything? Or is it that we see our to-do lists, our errands, our priorities as more important than other people? You know, when, when, when our schedule is interrupted and there's some sort of detour, do we see that as some great injustice that people are actually robbing our time? But then there's the Samaritan. He had places to go. He had, he had people to see. And yet he stopped. He didn't just look and walk past, but he looked and he loved. He spent his time. He spent his money. And he did it for someone that society told him he should hate. Someone that wasn't like him. He looked and he loved. That's what it means to be a good neighbor. That's, that's the moral of the story. But that moral of the story is like a gut punch when you realize how we've done. When you realize that we haven't been that good neighbor, when we haven't helped someone in need. And it's, it's more than just a gut punch when, when we consider that question, well, what must I do to inherit eternal life. To hear Jesus say, well, do this. Go and do likewise. That's more than a gut punch. It's a total knockout. The law hits us so heavy in this account. It, it beats us bloodier than that robbery victim in the story because the law says, do this. Do this, do this, do this, do this perfectly. But it's never done. Instead, we, we hear this moral of the story and it's like we're, looking, we're left looking into a mirror. And, and we think, well, see how you haven't been a good neighbor? See how you haven't loved God with everything you've got? See how you shouldn't inherit eternal life? Are those the thoughts that, that you would want to have before bedtime? You know, would you want to read this story to a, a little child before they go to sleep at night? I think I'd be okay doing it. As long as you added... Just one sentence. And I did this. Yesterday, last night, I, I took a Sharpie, and I, I got Ezra's little children's Bible, and I added this one sentence. Jesus tells a story. You can't lose that. You can't lose the storyteller of the story. Because otherwise, you're just going to get stuck on the moral of the story. And if there's a place to get stuck, it's not the moral of the story, but it's the man telling the story. And you ask a little kid who you're reading this children's Bible to, who is Jesus? 
they'll tell you exactly who Jesus is. They know. They know the basics. They know the fundamental truths that are so important. They know what Jesus did for them, the life that he lived for them, a perfect life. How he both loved his neighbor and the Lord perfectly. Jesus, he loved the Lord with all his heart. As he looked with compassion on all those that he saw and he never turned away. Jesus, he loved the Lord with all his soul. As he said, to, said no to every temptation that the devil sent his way. The temptation to think I'm better than anyone else. Jesus loved the Lord with all his strength as he walked miles to a well in Samaria because he needed to help a Samaritan woman. Jesus loved the Lord with all his mind as he tells us this story that crushes any of our thoughts of self-righteousness, that we would think we could actually work our way up to heaven to be perfect enough. That's the story that Jesus tells. And in in the children's Bible, this is the last story in the book. But you know that it's not really the last story in the book. It can't be the last story in the book because Jesus, the storyteller, has his own story. And this, this is the story that we need read to us every single night before bed. We need to hear Jesus' story. We need to see the paths that Jesus walked. Not the path from Jerusalem, but the path to Jerusalem. Jesus was walking that path, and he knew exactly why he had to walk that path. Nothing was going to stop him. Jesus walked right to the men who hated him, the priests, the Levites, the law experts. He walked right over to them and turned himself over, knowing exactly what was going to happen. The Roman soldiers flogged him, leaving him half dead, but but they didn't just leave him there because he had another path to walk. Up the hill on that path to Golgotha. And as Jesus is is carrying the weight of the cross, as he's stumbling on that path, his strength is, is, is faltering. And so the soldiers actually call another man who's traveling on the path to Jerusalem, Simon from Cyrene, to help Jesus. And so Simon carries that cross up the hill, and then you know the picture. There's a robber on the left, Jesus in the middle, and a robber on the right. Both his hands are reaching out with nails in both of them. All for you. That's the gospel. That's the gospel story that you get to hear today and every single day. Because the law says, do this, do this, do this, and it's never done. The gospel says, believe this. And everything is already done. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Nothing. Believe in Jesus. He's done it all for you. That's the storyteller's story. I want to leave you with just one other story this morning. Occasionally you you hear about a good Samaritan on the news. Two weeks ago, there was a headline, maybe you saw it, said something like, Good Samaritan rescues swimmer who was attacked by shark. Now, I, I'm not here to assess your swimming ability, but I can't guarantee 
that you're going to be able to go and do likewise. Right? I don't know if you're going to have that kind of opportunity to, to save a shark bite victim. But I know that you'll have other opportunities. Because Jesus has freed you. As the Apostle Paul says in that reading that we had this morning, Christ has set you free. He has opened your eyes to see life and to see your neighbor in a completely different way. Not just to look, but to love. I saw this happen. I was at a restaurant for lunch. At the table across from me, the waitress was bringing out the plates. And she set the plates down. And then the man said, excuse me, we're about to pray for this food. Is there anything we can pray for you about? And the waitress said, actually, yeah. I'm a single mother. Could you, could you pray for my kids? It was the sweetest little thing. There in that moment, there's a 60-year-old man and his wife praying aloud this beautiful prayer in a crowded restaurant for this young mother they had just met a couple minutes ago because they'd heard the story. They had heard the gospel story about Jesus. And when you hear that story, it creates all these other little stories of your own. When you don't just look, but you love. That's what Jesus does, is he turns a look into a love. And that's a story I could hear again and again and again.